You're listening to Unfiltered, where we engage in unapologetic grown folks conversations. I'm Tiffany Duggar. I'm Kimberly Taylor. And I'm Dr. Kimberly Sturgis. And we're just three girlfriends sharing our thoughts. Welcome to our tribe. So ladies, we are now um, pretty much coming up on our first year in the midst of a pandemic. And uh, of course, last year, 2020 was quite interesting. And 2021 started out um, questionable as well. But by the grace of God, we are still here. And with all of the different emotions and different things that we have experienced during last year and um, just the couple of months that we have actually been in 2021, there has been a lot of pressure I've noticed uh, on social media and in different conversations. Uh, There's been a lot of pressure to feel a certain type of way or to um, be positive during this time, which of course I'm all for being positive, but I also think that there comes a time when you have to give yourself permission to deal with your emotions. And when I say that, you know, of course we have conversations before our actual podcast conversations. And we were talking last week about this and, um, Last year in May, um, in when the, we were first uh, kind of just getting into the pandemic, coming off of lockdown, my grandmother passed. And so that was uh, a very difficult season for me. And um, it was hard trying to figure out how to grieve because I felt robbed in in a sort of way because I was not able to have the service for her that we would have wanted to have. And so I just decided in June to give myself permission to grieve. And I decided to give myself permission to grieve in whatever way that looked like. And I make it no secret. I Everyone you know, who knows me know that I also am managing depression and anxiety, um, mainly due to my thyroid condition. But I decided to let myself grieve and I decided to let myself sit in whatever emotion I had, which meant that I spent 86 days crying every single day, sometimes twice a day. And um, it was a difficult period. But when I came out of those 86 days, I actually felt refreshed. And you guys and I, we were talking uh, last week about the burden or the misconception or the pressure of having thick skin. You, um, One of the things, yeah, we, we do, um, you know, Kiff, no, Tiffany, no one, no one has the right to tell us how to grieve and how long, because what I've learned is that grieving looks different on everybody and for everybody. And one thing that I do know is that we, we have to get to a point where we accept that stage in our lives 
and uh, so embrace that because if you don't properly grieve over something, it's almost like you're putting something in a box and putting a lid on it. And if that box is ever shaken and the lid falls off, whatever was in that box is going to come out. And that's to me, that's what, what grieving is all about releasing what's in the box. So you have to don't, I don't encourage anyone to suppress it. We were never taught to embrace grieving. We were never taught to embrace, like we, we were talking about this and we talked about um, how it was so common for our parents or grandparents to say, you need to toughen up. You need to get yourself together, snap out of it. Well, it's some, that those four words or several words, words are so easy to just roll off your tongue, but it's not easy to do in action. If something is bothering me, or if something has gotten me emotionally stuck, that's what it is. I'm emotionally stuck. So I can't just get over it or I can't just toughen up because it doesn't always work that easily. And it's, it's, we have to now change the dynamics of this. And I think this is a great conversation to have because this is something that we, we, especially in our community, we don't talk about um, embracing the emotions that we have and, and settling it for what it is. It's always, you feel this way, now you need to do something, you need to go on. Not repair it, not fix it, not um, dissect it, you just need to move on. And that's not solving the problem. So I think this is a good discussion for our listening audience to take in because we because our goal is to be transparent enough to help the next person who is actually dealing with grief or because we all are going to encounter it in some part of in our lives lives. So we we have the tools now. We can share what we've learned along the way and hopefully that will be you know give a um, our listening audience tools to deal with the circ- a situation that they encounter. Not just grief, but trauma, period, you know, dealing, learning how to deal with your Absolutely. emotions, period. And what I have found is that we always think it's a woman's issue. But what I have discovered is that um, it, 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 it affects our uh, black men. It's like, because they have been taught not to cry, not to feel emotions. You know, they have to be so strong. They're carrying the weight of the world. And if they do cry, they're considered punks or or they're considered soft. And so the only thing that does is it raises young black boys to grow up to be unemotional men who cannot be emotional emotionally available in relationship. That's what I was about to say, Tiffany. It it goes beyond grief. It goes to specifically dealing with, and as you previously stated, sitting in the emotion of that moment. That emotion can be sadness, that emotion can be fear, that emotion can be pain, hurt. 
Um, but whatever that emotion is, because that emotion can also be happiness. Uh, that emotion can also be uh, things that are positive. But if you don't know how to deal with both, how to handle the good experiences and sit in them and appreciate them while learning from or allowing yourself to go through the full range of, ex of experiences when you're dealing with the bad experiences, it goes back to what you said, Kim Taylor, it goes to being stuck. And I really believe that there are a lot of us, especially in the African-American community who are emotionally stuck. And then think about how that plays out in our lives. Women emotionally stuck in a heartbreak or men, and they never got over that heartbreak. And then everyone that comes after that person that triggered that trauma becomes that person. And you start layering on the next person things that they never did. You start layering on them things from your past that you never dealt with. And I can easily see how then we as individuals get stuck in these cyclical moments in life. Um, and then when we go from that to an extremely joyous situation, a very happy occasion, we are so still stuck emotionally in the trauma or that negative situation that it becomes difficult for us to even enjoy the good parts, the good things that life has to offer. So I think that it is critical that specifically in the African-American community, we start having these types of conversations around our feelings and being all right with that, whatever that is, whatever that emotion is in the moment and getting whatever support mm -hmm. or assistance you need to deal with it to be able to get unstuck. You know what I am enjoying right now? Um, I'm enjoying what I am going to describe as the um, new phenom of therapy, that it's okay to go to therapy. I am so happy when I see these commercials about the, the telehealth, the therapy, and there are different therapy groups that I follow um, on Instagram and, and how it's like the new thing to, uh, to go to therapy. It's okay. Whereas before, especially in the African-American community, it was so taboo, um, to go to therapy. And I think we've discussed this before in our conversations. Um, I love my therapist. Like I, the first time I went that this particular therapist, this is how I knew it was a good fit because there also has to be that good fit. 
because not all therapists are created equal. But um, the first time that I had a session with my therapist, I came out of there feeling so much lighter. It's, I felt like I had solved years, decades of problems, not, not solved, but I had addressed decades uh, worth of problems that I had in that one session. And she was able to give me an objective and honest um, and practical ways of, of handling whatever was, was and is going on in my life. And I think that we need to change our language when we talk to people who are in, who have been in traumatic situations, who are, who are grieving. You know, we say things like, um, oh, you know, I'm praying for you. And sometimes I think it's just a habit when we say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm praying for you. And I myself have become more intentional about literally getting on my knees when somebody has experienced trauma or grief or whatever that negative emotion is and actually really, really praying for that person. And so our language needs to be more affirming and more supportive for people to encourage people to get help, to encourage people to talk through these things instead of saying, oh, get over it, or or you're overreacting. Because like Kim Taylor said in the beginning, your burden is not my burden. So how dare I tell you how to deal with your traumatic situation? And last Sunday, um, the uh, my uh, pastor's son actually preached, uh, Reverend Raphael West, and he gave the analogy. Um, he was talking about basically the same thing. You're, you don't carry the same thing I carry. Everybody carries something different. And he gave the analogy of how his father gave him um, some of his old suits. And um, so he called, he dropped them off at his tailor or Raphael dropped them off at his tailor. And so he was all prepared to have these wonderfully crafted suits tailored to fit him. But his tailor called him back and told him, um, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're going to be willing to pay to have these to fit the way they should. And so he was like, well, what, you know, what's the problem? He said, because the, the thing is, these suits were tailored to fit your father. They weren't tailored to fit you. So with that being said, everyone has a different burden and has have a different cross to bear. He couldn't wear his father's suit because they were tailored to fit his father. No matter how you cut them down, no matter how you reposition this, no matter how you do that, move fabric, whatever, they're still not going to fit him because they weren't meant for him to be, to wear them in the first place. And so we cannot tell other people, you know, get over it. You know, I do believe that if your grief or if your trauma gets to the point 
where it is hurting you physically, mentally, emotionally, then you need to seek help. But how dare I tell you to get over something? Because your blues ain't like mine. Right. And And I think that's a valid point, Tiffany. Um, And it's going to take a conversation like this and conversations in all of our circles, because, you know, you teach people how to treat you. And so that's, that goes along with that. Like, um, as you, we start continue, as we, as we continue, you know, talking about, um, how to navigate through grieving moments or traumatic experiences and how to respond to that. Whenever we hear someone says to somebody else, well, they, you know, they just need to, they need to just pull up their bootstraps and, and get it together and, and whatever the case, pull up their pains and get it together and wipe their face away. I think it's everyone's responsibility who is around that type of verbiage to stop it right there and have a counter conversation because it, 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 you know, it's so easy. It's so easy as humans to say what they would do and what they should do and could do it. However, they are not in the situation. But if you get them, if they experience that, I believe their tone will change differently. So let's start this off with the same level playing field of a tone. And I, I, and from, I think it is, again, it is our responsibility to create that, that, um, that dynamic with everyone that to create the message, because it is so easy, so easy for us to say what we will do, what we will not do. I remember when I was working for one of the local universities and, and one of my directs, um, she's a, she never been married. I mean, I'm sorry. She was married, had been married, but never had children. And she was, she was that person who always climbed that career ladder and very successful. And uh, someone on the job lost their mother and they, the mother lived in California. They were gone for about three months, three to four months to take care of business and to grieve. And the person who lost their mother had lost her husband some, some probably five or four years prior to. So it was just her. She didn't have any children. So, and she, it was just her. And I remember the direct supervisor saying, just, just in casual conversation, well, she just needs to come on back to back here, back to Georgia. She need to come on back to work so there could be some sense of normalcy for her. And I sat back in it and I didn't think anything about it at the time. However, you know, few days or so later, I'm thinking, hmm, now you just lost your mother and I don't care how long you are gone. You can't bring her back. This is someone that birthed you. This is someone you grew up with and you cannot replace that person. So there was a lengthy, uh, well, there was a time of grief that may have lasted longer than what the supervisor thought. 
but that was her perspective. And uh, going back to my 30 some year old self at that time, I, now I know that that should not have been, um, that should not have been saturated through the air. I should not have allowed that to just marinate in the air. I should have addressed that because some years later, the supervisor mother passed and she retired. Mm. So again, until you are in the situation, you shouldn't say what you should do, what people should do or would do or could do. Because what I do know is that when you encounter something like that, your tone will change. And you shouldn't have to wait till you encounter something for your tone to change, to have empathy for the next person that's going through a traumatic moment or who are grieving. And even with that, Kim, you know, I think about one of the best things that happened to me. Uh, I know this may sound sick, but when my dad passed away and we're coming up on year four of that, and I've feel the gulf that his uh, passing has created in my life on a daily basis. Uh, but one thing that uh, one of my cousins told me was one, it is okay not to be okay. And two, there is no time frame to grief. Basically what she explained was that she had lost her mom some years before. And she said, and even all these years later, there are still days, it's hard for me to get up. There's still times, you know, I wanna ball up on the floor and just cry. And when you feel like that, do it. And it doesn't matter if it's a week later, a year later, 10 years later. When you feel that, allow yourself to feel that. Don't brush it aside. We all grieve differently and there's no time frame to it. And since then, get over it has literally become a trigger for me. Even when you said it tonight in the conversation, I winced. Because how dare anyone tell anyone else how to feel about anything. And in our previous conversations, when we were talking about our emotions and our feelings, we weren't just talking about grief or the trauma from any other kind of traumatic experience, heartbreak, anything along those lines. We're also talking about how we treat each other um, as women or how in a professional setting or in a personal setting and how we can be the first to say um, to each other in ways that it, it's not intended to be negative and ways that uh, is not intended to come across as it being insensitive, but we can be insensitive towards one another. We can say, hurtful things 
to each other that have um, long-term impacts because I truly do believe there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And I know that there are times that things can be said that really do have long-term impacts, but because I, this is something that has happened to me where well, I've been on the giving end of that, un totally unintentionally, I would say something trying to help, not realizing the filter or the lens by which that's being heard and therefore how it's being received. And so when I find out that then my words hurt someone, I, I historically, I've been kind of dismissive. Like, how did that, how was that hurtful? That I didn't mean that, but I had to accept and recognize that first of all, it's not about what my intent was. It is about perception. I think communication is 85% how it is received and 15% what you meant to say. And, and I think that going back to something that both of you have said over the course of this conversation is how important it is for us to then have these kinds of conversations to make sure that our words are words of affirmation. Our words are words of love. Our words speak life into people and that we are not hurting or harming each other with the things that we say, even if we're saying we're doing it out of tough love. Yeah. You know, you were talking about um, when people say, get over it, you know, it kind of makes you cringe. It makes me, as of late, I will say within the last couple of years, because um, I had to just stop and, and look at my environment. And it was an environment where it was said over and over and over again, you got to have tough skin. You got to have tough skin. You got to have tough skin. Why do I have to have tough skin? Why do I have to have tough skin? It, it, you know, really, it, it all boils down to basically you're saying um, you got to be a butthole. You know, you got to be obnoxious. You got to be um, rude. You you have to have tough, tough skin. You got to let it roll off your back. And in, in some instances, that may be true for different situations, but you cannot go through life with this shell because that's just what it is. It's a shell. And I shared with you guys earlier that, um, you know, I come from a great family. I love, I love my family, but we were raised to have thick skin. That's just how it is. You, Kim uh, McDonald, you've spent some time with my family. You know, <laughs> if you go be around us, you have to have uh, thick skin. And for years, I lived in that. And then I decided that I don't have to have, quote unquote, thick skin. What I have to have is a healthy balance. I have to be able to deal with things properly. And what that looks like is 
at certain points, no, I'm not going to fall apart. At certain points in my life, yes, I do need to let certain things roll off my back. But also, I need to understand that it's okay if I want to emotionally break down and cry and wail and roll out in the floor and, 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 and have my moment, that it is okay and I will not be seen as weak. So actually it was um, something similar to um, Sergis to you when my grandfather passed years ago, uh, 99, my grandfather passed one month and my very, very close friend that I called my little brother was killed by someone who was supposed to be his friend. It was like back to back. I was not yet mature enough in my grieving process and my emotional process and my and in the way that I process things emotionally. I was still in that thick skin mode that I was allowing the grief and the trauma from those two um, experiences to make me physically ill because I had not. I was not expressing myself. I was not letting it out. I was not, um, I was not crying. I was not, I wasn't handling it the way, I wasn't cleansing myself from that grief. And it manifested itself into a physical illness. I actually had laryngitis for a month where I, I could not talk and I could feel the physical effects of grief in my body. And I remember a friend saying to me, you just need to, you really need to go somewhere and cry. You really just need to let it out. And so I got in my car and I, I left my grandparents' house and I was gone for a couple of days and I went to a hotel and I grieved and I cried and I cried and I cried and it felt like it was such a freeing experience, but all my life I had been told you got to have thick skin. And almost if you showed any type of emotion, it was a joke. You know, it was, you know, you, you were laughed at, oh, she's so emotional. Oh, she crying. Oh, you know, it was that type of thing. And what I realized is after I looked at my family, not just my family, but other families, I realized it's a generational thing within our culture where we have not, we've been so oppressed that we, and, and we have not been able to properly grieve that oppression. We have been, and I'm going, yes, I'm going to go here. I'm going to take it all the way back to slavery when we were being separated uh, from each other and not expected to show any emotion. And, you know, that whole of that mother who had given birth to that child and, and had that child ripped from her arms and sold. And then she's supposed to go back in the field and work. And that's how she deal, dealt with it. And so, you know, post-slavery, then we move on into being oppressed yet again but we're being so beat down that we're not allowed to show emotion because emotion is a weakness. So 
our great our our ancestors passed it on to our great great grandparents. They passed it on, and 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 it trick just started trickling down to our grandparents and then our parents. And so it has to stop somewhere in our community. It has to stop somewhere. And we have to, like Kim, like Sturgis said, we have to be okay with not being okay. Tiffany, let me tell you. So I, I used to feel some type of way of when I would have these emotional breakdowns, like, um, and I would think that, you know, if I cry because, you know, I'm a crier and if I cry, then people would take that as me being weak. And I, you know, that, I, that just bothered me because that wasn't the case. I just carry, I just have empathy for people. I sympathize with people. I have a caring heart. And so with that, the emotion assigned to my caring heart are tears, okay? Some may hug, some may say, God bless you, whatever the case may be, tears are for me. All right, so um, I remember sometimes when um, I would um, just break, I had an urge to cry and um and I used to be like, what? I'm not really sad thinking that what is wrong with me? However, over a period of time, and I started realizing that re being attentive to that urge to cry, I knew that that was my filtering process. Now, now as the 47 year old woman, I welcome that because a lot of times, you know, um, life will add all of these layers to you. And uh, you're just embodied with a bunch of layers of life. And that's heavy. And from, I use that, I use that to at like a visual to say, just imagine yourself having all these layers of life. Rejection, um, you may have applied for a job and you knew you'd gotten it. And then all of a sudden the lady in HR says, well, we have had to hire somebody else who had a little bit more qualifications than, you know, da, da, da. Then you, whatever the case may be, maybe as a single person, someone that you were involved with, you found out that, that they were, I'm seeing someone else. That's another layer, whatever the case may be. And just think you have, in, in addition to your physical weight, now you got this emotional weight and you're heavy and you're carrying all of this. You don't have any place to release this and you have to release it. You have to release it. It's like the bag lady scenario. So for me, when I cry, it is my opportunity to release the layers of life. So I could be in the shower and I welcome that when I feel like I want to cry, I welcome that. And I cry, I cry and I feel so much lighter. And sometimes it allows me, well, not sometimes, a lot of times it allows me clarity. It gives me clarity. Like, because when you're weighed down so much, you can't really function properly. You can't think clearly. And when I release all of that through my tears, 
I feel a, 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 another extra breath that I can breathe. I feel another wind of momentum that allow me to move forward. I feel another layer of hope that comes comes within, like, you know, I can move, move on. And, but for me, I had to realize tears is not, they're not a sign of weakness. I had to realize the origin of my tears. And then once I realized that, I embraced that. And then I actively allowed the, allowed the process to happen. And I think, um, you know, that makes a world of a difference because we hold so much in. And um, yeah, that, that's been my filtering process. I have a friend that told me once, every once in a while, everybody needs a good lethargic cry. Mm. Just that, that cleansing power of shedding those tears because it's not just the tears that you're shedding. You're also, as you just stated, Kim, shedding that um, emotional weight that you're carrying. And anyone who knows me knows that I hate, hate watching shows that have any level of potential of making me cry because I will start crying about something on TV and then I start thinking about other things and the next thing I know I'm doing like for real the ugly cry and um and then the I always even though I feel better and lighter afterwards I always end up saying and where did that come from how long had I been holding that in to get to that point and whenever that happens I think about two specific instances one I was at a friend's house and we were doing a movie marathon and we ended up watching Armageddon and the last scene of Armageddon came on and by the time that movie ended I couldn't breathe through my nose and I had been blowing my nose. My eyes were all puffy. I had cried so hard, but afterwards I was like, whew, I need to eat something. <laughs> and the second time was when I watched the movie Ladder 49, because that last scene, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, uh, when, well, not the last scene, but the uh, major final death scene had me so messed up but it all goes back to there probably were so many other pieces or so many other things I was holding on to that that was just the catalyst that started the tears flowing but there were other things I needed to release in those moments which is why they, I remember them so clearly. Um, but yeah, there were other things that needed to be released. And then ultimately there was a refreshing and a renewing for me. Yeah, I, it's funny that you say that about television because 
when I was going through my process of basically um, chiseling through that shell that I had um, allowed to to grow, you know, emotionally, externally, um, growing up because of my um, environment and 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 being encouraged to have thick skin. When I decided to allow myself to actually feel different emotions and to express those emotions in a healthy way, I noticed um, I was watching a movie and I can't even remember, my gosh, what movie this is, but I cried like a baby. I was sitting there and I was just crying. And then I thought to myself, I was like, this is a movie. Like I'm crying over a movie but it was also liberating because I actually said to myself you do have feelings and I was so excited because yay I've got feelings because I have had you know I've had people to tell me in relationships that you know, you act like you don't have any feelings and you act like I don't have any either. And I couldn't, at the time, I was just like, that's ridiculous. I, I know you have feelings. I have feelings. But looking back on it, I was treating people like they didn't have any feelings and like I didn't have any feelings and like I didn't care about what was important to them. And so... um we have to be careful about how our feelings affect our loved ones, how our feelings affect uh, other people, and what what are we putting out there in the universe? What are we putting out there in the atmosphere in terms of how? What are we encouraging people to do with their emotions? Because it goes back to my initial statement about um, specifically men and their uh, inability to, you know, handle their emotions when grief hits, when trauma hits, when relationship issues hit, they cannot properly express themselves emotionally. And there's always, there's typically some underlying um, childhood trauma or just the way they were raised or just being a man, period, being told that you, you can't cry, you can't show emotions. It's like for men, it's, it's really not okay not to be okay. You know, you have to be a certain way at all times. You have to be in control um, emotionally. But one thing that I do not want, um, I don't want a man that's not able to express his emotion. Now, I don't want you walking around the house crying all the time, but I also want to know that when the time comes for you to be sensitive, when the time comes for you to positively express your emotions, you're able to do that instead of you um, chipping away at me emotionally because you cannot handle um, your emotions or 
because you feel like my emotions don't matter. And um, I just think that. Or you don't value my emotions. Right. You don't value my emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't, you don't value my emotions. As a single parent raising an African-American male son, because I do think that a lot of this is more bending towards African-American males than uh, all males, but I could be wrong. That's just my experience. Um, I know that I there was a fine line for me because I wanted, I didn't want to raise an emotionally stunted son because I had enough experiences with emotionally, emotionally stunted men. But I didn't want my son to be viewed as soft or a pushover or, um, you know, someone who could easily be manipulated or somebody whose kindness would be mistaken for weakness. And, and so that was a fine line. And um, I need to ask his wife how she thinks he's doing in that department. Because my son and I, if you know us, you know we have a relationship where we talk about any and everything. Um, but I'm learning that as comfortable as I am with him and I think he is with me, I know he doesn't talk about everything that he's thinking or he's feeling. Even though I've always tried to be that mom who ensured that he understood he could, regardless of my reaction, because I'm human, it may not always be the best reaction in the moment, but I also was never that parent. Well, I wouldn't go back and either explain my original uh, response or say that I could have handled that better. Or I wish I didn't say it that way. That wasn't really what I was feeling because I never wanted to shut him down. I wanted him to be able to speak it out uh, because that's another thing we would do to children. Children should be seen and not heard. We will always, we'll shut them down. And one day my daddy said, stop that. Don't dismiss him every time he wants to speak because you'll make him stop speaking. You need to let him share his thoughts with you. And I was like, oh, because I was raised, children are seen and not heard. And you don't talk um, to adults about certain things and a child needs to stay in a child's place. And you need to, you know, be away from the adults in an adult moment, which that was continued, but it was modified to where, no, you will not be rude and interrupt people in the middle of a conversation and you will not be disrespectful and you will not necessarily join an adult conversation when it is a, an adult conversation. But there are times, even when adults are talking, that the conversation lends itself to a, a, an, a younger person being able to add their thoughts in that moment. But those were all learning experiences as parents. But if we want to do, break those generational 
behaviors, we've got to stop doing the things we've been doing for generations. Mm-hmm. And right. that's some lessons I've learned as a um, as a parent, specifically as a parent of an African American male mm-hmm. and a single parent at that. Yeah, and for me as a wife of a as a um, a single child being raised by women. Um, there is a whole nother um, Omega man dynamic with that. Like um, with the, you know, the, the whole man up <laughs> phrase is just like to the highest level. Be, you know, the emotions of, uh, first of all, I think that he automatically became a protector when we entered our entered our relationship because he was um, a protector when he was a child. So he brought that into our marriage. And with that being a protector, sometimes protectors, they just protect. But however, they may not see that there are some things that really don't need protecting. I just need you to hear this out. Or I just, you know, just, I just need you to um, just listen to me. And, you know, that's one instance. And another instance is that um, when I said, Tiffany, you were talking about males not really um, understanding or, you know, not really taking in my, my emotion. I said, valuing my, my emotions. Um, I think a lot of times it is so innate in that person to be strong and to, um, you know, not, not let the, the emotion of being afraid, uh, the emotion of uncertainty, you know, not knowing the emotion of um, just, you know, having, you know, having some type of sorrow or grief and not sharing, showing that. I think that's so strong in men that when they see their counterpart um, having a moment, it's almost like, one, I got to go in protective mode. (laughs) And two, um, it's going to be all right, you know, Kim, or, you know, it's not that bad. And what I mean by valuing my emotion, how I'm feeling is how I'm feeling. And you cannot, um, you cannot put your value on my feelings because it never weighs out. You will never understand it. So um, just, you know, I, for one thing, I, I, I even talk about like in my relationship, with my husband, I say, he knows when I'm having a moment because I say I'm having a moment and he understands that. And he knows that those words get over it will never live in this house (laughs) because that won't (laughs) ride (laughs) at all. (laughs) And, and so he, and even Zoe, she knows that mommy is having a moment. Let me be because that's what it is. And whatever comes into that moment, me shutting down, getting quiet, me wanting to be isolated, me crying somewhere, I'm having my moment. And I, um, 
And I say all of that to say, as we, which goes back to my original statement, show others how to um, treat this emotional roller coaster, how to massage this emotional roller coaster, how to um, how to respond. We have to. Our role is to continue to show people how to treat us during this phase, what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And I think that I have been able to do that. Now we got a long way. We got some ways to go, but we've come a long way too. <laughs> so um, I think it is, you know, we have to continue showing people that um, it is um, showing people how we should treat one another during these times. Yeah. And I think you, like, like you said, in terms of teaching people how to, um, to, to treat you teaching people how to treat us. I think it's also teaching people how to treat themselves or allowing people to understand that it's okay to express these emotions. Because I think when it goes back to, you know, talking about men and and being in relationships or, or whatever type of relationship you're in, I think that it also starts with, um, we kind of take on a little of the responsibility because we need to let them know, hey, it's okay for you to feel this way. It's okay for you to break down. It's okay. There's no shame. There's no harm. There's no weakness in crying. There's no weakness in in showing emotion. You know, um, a lot of times, when when dealing with grief and when when dealing with people uh, passing away, you know, we're talking so, to some um, uh, male friends. It's like you have to tell them, give them permission, uh, which which is this is how we started the conversation, giving people permission and helping them understand that it is OK uh, to grieve. It's okay for you to grieve that trauma. It's okay for you to heal from that trauma by expressing your emotions, you know, expressing them, learning how to channel those emotions in a positive way and expressing them in a positive, non-destructive way and how to basically speak life to your soul, you know? And I think my concluding thought goes back to and get therapy there will be times that the emotions that you are experiencing you will not be able to deal with by yourself and that is okay it is okay to not be okay but it's never okay to get stuck And if you don't have the coping skills, coping mechanisms, the internal strength necessary to move past those negative emotions, move past that trauma, that is okay. It's God created therapists for a reason. There's, if you need help, get Help, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And the stigma, and I still hear it in 2021, 
people saying in mass media environments, you know, black folks don't do therapy. I mean, I, I still, that, that language is far too common. And yeah. it's not common. All the trauma that we experience, we need therapy more now more than ever. And, and Kim, and, I love and, your shirt be, because you said, I love Jesus and my therapist. Isn't that what you, you have a t-shirt that says that? Yeah. I said, I love Jesus. I pray, but I still go to therapy. Yes. And, 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 and that is so true because we would have people think that God is against uh, therapy, that he just wants us to pray to him. But when you are going through difficult times and when you, when you feel like you need to talk to someone, you need therapy or, or you need psychiatry, you need some behavioral help. That could be the answer to your prayer. Absolutely. Because one of the reasons it took me so long to go to therapy is because I, I kept being told to just pray about it. And one day I realized that the answer to my prayer is go to therapy. And so I needed to stop listening to those people who were telling me, girl, just pray about it. Girl, just pray about it. Number one, stop listening to them and stop telling my business, mm. you know, because you know who you can share your emotions with and who you can't, who your emotions are safe with and who they're not. And so let me be clear. Um Going to therapy is not a sin against God. Mm. Going to therapy can only enhance your life. It can only, it, it, it's, it's a positive addition to your self-care routine. And it's not questioning um, your if, faith. If, <clears throat> it's no. not questioning your faith. It's not saying that you don't trust God enough to deal with it. It's saying that you trust God to know that he will lead you to the right person to help you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why I designed that shirt and why I wear it is because, you know, I want people to understand that also when I'm, I, when I am encouraging you to seek God, when I'm encouraging you to stand by your faith, when I am encouraging you uh, spiritually understand that, um, yeah, I believe all these things, but I also believe in going to therapy. And there's nothing wrong with loving Jesus and praying and going to therapy because the answer to your prayers could be therapy. So, yes, ladies, we have had a yet another uh, wonderful discussion, just us thinking out loud and uh, what I would like to do, um, I think it would be helpful to have a therapist actually come on and, and talk about this because, you know, right now we're, we're in such, it's, it's, we're going through such an emotional time. And not only are we going through the pandemic and, you know, we, we just got through um, an, an inauguration. We can all breathe now uh, because we have new leadership and we are hopeful that things will change. But in the midst of all of this, life is still happening. Life is still happening. You, people are still getting sick beyond COVID. People are still passing away of natural causes. Um, you know, in the midst of all this other, um, uh, in the midst of this pandemic and everything else going on. And then 
Um, you know, right now everything is kind of calm, but don't forget that uh, we're still oppressed and, and black lives do matter. So that's that we still have to fight through that. So um, I think that, yeah, we need to have um, definitely have someone on um, because this is a conversation that needs to be had. And I know I've said this before, but I am really concerned about our black men and them being able to have an emotional outlet and then being able to understand that they have permission to be emotional. I agree, Tiffany. I, I t- totally agree with everything that you you're wrapping up with. Um, and as future fathers, future son-in-laws, <laughs> um, it is we should be concerned because my daughter will be marry someone that my prayer is he is emotionally equipped in a way that. Um, when I say emotionally equipped, he need to be able to express his emotions in a way that's health, healthy, not only to him, but to her and to their children. And um, and I think it's our responsibility again, not only to continue this dialogue, but show others what this should look like. And and it's okay. It's okay to have your have a moment. It's okay to cry. It's okay to um. It's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I think that um, we can just all say, start giving yourself permission. Start allowing yourself to understand that it's okay not to be okay and to learn how to positively deal with that trauma and that grief because it is truly okay as a man, woman, boy, girl, not to be okay. But what's not okay is for you to live with the trauma, not address it. Just go on um, continuing to perpetuate the cycle and passing it down from generation to generation. So just give yourself permission to be emotional. Give yourself permission to say, hey, I'm not okay. And also give yourself permission to step back because what you don't want to do in the moments of your trauma, in the moments of your sadness, in the moments of dealing with your emotion is hurt someone else. So give yourself permission to remove yourself from a place and space where you may create someone else's trauma because of your inability to really be able to deal with yours. Very, very good point. That is actually a whole different conversation. We could we could start another conversation mm-hmm. off of that. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. ladies, once again, Absolutely. I have enjoyed our conversation and uh, I, ca- I look forward to talking to you ladies next week. And um, thank you guys for listening. Have a wonderful evening.